Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Good morning. How's everybody? Good, good, good. Uh, missed y'all last week. Um, I was, well, let me put it this way. I'm better, and it, it is way better to be better. There's a reason why they call it better, amen? So, but I want to thank uh, Pastor Nick for uh, speaking last week. Just a fabulous job. And I learned a lot of lessons because two weeks ago on, on Sunday, or I was reminded of some lessons. Uh, Two weeks ago, Sunday morning when I got up, I knew I was in trouble, uh, but sometimes I'm hard, hard-headed in my commitment and, uh, um, you know, went ahead and then I did three services and then you, you guys were the last ones I saw and then we did video by way of, of the fourth service, but so glad to feel better. But my point is I had so many events that next week, uh, depending on me, and, and here was the relief. It wasn't depending on me at all. We have such a great team. They not only covered those events, they excelled at those events. That's good news for you guys, amen? Good news for me as well. So awesome. Uh, also want to make sure everybody's up to speed on this. We are launching a campus, another campus of of Meadowbrook on the east side of Ocala. That will be happening in September. And um, uh, we are super excited about it. We had a goal, financial goal, to fund it, to fully fund it, $1.2 million. And uh, you guys not only met the goal, you've exceeded the goal, and we came in a little early too. And so I just want to thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Um, and I've asked everybody to just do your part. Everybody do your part. That's what makes it healthy. That's what makes it really work right. Of course, some can give more than others can give, but it's everybody doing their part. It's like anything else. Carry what you can carry. And some can carry more, but the, the thing that makes it really work and really healthy is everybody doing their part. So I want to thank you. We are fully funded. Uh, the other thing I hope to, within a week, possibly two weeks, I'll be able to announce to you the location. And uh, we are super excited. This is going to be absolutely fabulous. I was touring it the other day, and I, I told the team that was with us, I said, I think I'm going to go to that one. And so, uh, but uh, continue to pray, working out just the little details, and uh, just be a, it would be a God thing. And uh, so God is good, and we're very, very excited about that. Amen. Or at least I'm excited about that. I mean, our, our community is growing, and um, we have to be positioned so that we can share this good news all over this community. I do not want to be behind that curve and, uh, you know, of growth because time is short. People are hurting, and this is the message. People need the Lord, and we've got to get that message out. Amen. Can I get a good amen out of the church today? All right, good deal. 
Hey, we believe in prayer and the power of prayer, and I just believe in praying strong prayers to a big God, and you're never going to startle God. You're never going to shock him. And let's, let's, you know, as we pray day in and day out, I mean, go to God, believe that God hears and God is able. And I want to remind you that after every service, say that, after every service. After every service, we have a prayer team across the front. If you need prayer for anything, come up, uh, you know, and you say, well, I'm tired or my faith is low or whatever it would be. They are honored and ready to serve you in that way to pray with you. I just think it would be kind of a dumb thing to do is come in carrying burdens, weights, pressures, and then carry them right back out there with you. Leave them with the Lord. And uh, prayer of agreement is a powerful, powerful thing. So come and uh, pray with folks after service. Uh, You'll be glad that you did, and we're glad to pray with you. One other thing regarding prayer, and I just want to address quickly the uh, horrible event that we had in our community this week, shooting at one of our schools. And I just want to encourage us that we take our position not in panic, but we take our place in prayer. And I believe that prayer can hold back lawlessness. Well, for the rest of you, I believe that prayer can hold back lawlessness. Amen. And, and I want to call you to pray. And don't just spend your mornings, you know, getting your coffee and getting your eyeliner and getting your Pop-Tart. You know, let's, let's call out to God. And as you're going, doing whatever you're doing, let's call out to God. Let's pray over our schools, pray over our neighborhoods, pray over the hospitals, pray over everything. And pray and believe God for peace, for order, for revival, and for prosperity in every sense of the word for our community. Can we do that? Let's take our place in prayer. Now, I'm not at liberty to give you detail, but I'm talking to a long-term friend of mine, almost 30-year friend, who's a strong believer, and he is well-placed within the sheriff's office. And we were on the phone yesterday afternoon talking and sharing, and I told him of our commitment to pray. And he said, Brother, prayer, prayer somehow limited what did happen. And I can't give you, I can't give you the, I don't know that I'm at liberty to give the detail. He said, but there is no other reason why a couple of things were not worse about this except the intervention of God. And I believe that God is able to confound and confuse the plans of the enemy. I fully believe that. And so let's take our place in prayer. Amen. Let's stand, let's stand together and let's do just that. Let's pray. Let's lift our hands to the Lord this morning. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we're so glad that we even can. And I thank you, God, that the name of Jesus resonates and reverberates through everything and through all places and in every realm. And we worship the name of Jesus today, and we call upon the name of Jesus that's above every other name. And we pray for peace and for order and for revival and for prosperity in in this entire region, in our whole community. And we'll not just stand back and watch and wait and panic and worry. We will take our place proactively in prayer and be ahead. And I thank you and we declare the, the order of God for our community. God, we thank you for this morning and I thank you for every person that is here. And I pray that you meet us where we are. You called us and brought us and helped us to get here. And I pray that you just speak into every heart and every life. Help me today to deliver this important message. And I pray that when everything is said and done today, that you, Jesus, the Lord of our life, the head over all things to this church, that you would be pleased, that you would be honored, and that these, your people, every single one of them would be helped today. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Help me welcome our online campus.
God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. Well, we've got some ground to cover this morning, and uh, we're, our series is called Through the Bible in Seven Weeks, and I'd like to correct the title, Through the Bible in Eight Weeks, because <laughs> we missed one last week, but it actually will just be the seven weeks. Let's go ahead and pick up in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the New Living Translation. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God. This is the breath of God uh, bringing life to his word. Inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You know, sometimes we're wondering what's wrong. I'm telling you the light of Scripture would show you those things. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So there's a number of things we need to do regarding this, this Bible, and we need to understand it is life-changing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is life-giving, life-changing. Uh, the book of Job says, you know, I desire, I require your word more than my daily food. And um, when you understand and begin to experience the, the importance and the import and the encouragement and the hope and the faith and everything else that God's word brings to you, you will make it a part of your day. I believe in daily exposure to, daily intake of God's word, not just a reader, but a studier and a, and a hearer of God's word. And uh, the impact of this, there is nothing else anywhere that can impact us like God's word. Well, the first thing you got to do, though, you ready? You got to pick it up. It's not this mystical, magical, big thing that we put on a coffee table in the middle of the living room to ward off evil, okay? This is God's Word. You got to pick it up. Tell your neighbor, pick it up. So pick it up, and, then we, and, and we're without excuse. We're without excuse, you know, in print, electronically, whatever. Um, you know, many of you steal our Bibles every week. I mean, you're just without... <laughs> Seriously, if you need a Bible, take one, okay? But as I say, but if you have 11 of ours, could you bring back a couple, okay? All right. Well, I want one for every room and every, you know, uh, good for you. But um, you got to read it. You got to read it. Pick it up and read it. Now, we've prepared a, a, a reading guide to go along with this series. It is online. We also, I think we have cards out at uh, guest services that will give you the, the website. But just go to our website and um, you, we've got a reading guide for all seven weeks. It's not gonna re- you're not going to read the whole Bible in seven weeks. It's going to give you, uh, guide you through, uh, right in correlation with our, with our study. In the beginning of that reading guide, it gives us uh, some good direction, some real good direction. Here's what to do with God's Word after you pick it up, okay? Read it. Everybody say read it. Read. You've got to read it. Second thing is believe it. Say believe it. Read. And third thing is follow it. Follow. So if you read it and believe it and follow it, follow it. It will change your life. I'm telling you what, it will change your life. Amen. Well, I want to, um, the whole purpose of this is to get us to a place where we can see the big picture of scripture because otherwise the Bible, you know, and we see that it's helpful. Pastor's saying it's helpful. I know other people, I just can't seem to get into it. And sometimes our approach is all wrong and we think it's this compressed, giant, concentrated, how do I get in there? It doesn't make sense. It makes sense. And listen, you can understand it. God knew who he was writing it for. Okay. So we can understand it. And um, one of the ways that I want to help you to start to hunger for God's word and love God's word is 
breaking it down, you know, with this, with this series in this way. And I believe that once you get the big picture, everybody say the big picture. You get that big picture of God's grand narrative. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have more peace and you're going to have less panic. I know of no one that would not want more peace and less panic. And uh, it has to do with seeing the big picture of God's Word. And I'll tell you what, that will help you a lot. I want to pass out a couple of Bibles today. And um, I'm telling you what, they're making some awesome Bible covers now too. And I'll, maybe I'll show you one here. But this one is uh, New King James. And it's just, just a smaller one. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful cover there? And um, I want to give this out to somebody. We had a baptism blowout just recently. Anybody get baptized in our, in our research? Right back there, okay? So, Lewis, if you can run, keep your hand up right back there. Run, run, run. We got a short service here. Okay. Uh, this is the message, paraphrase. I love this for, you know, casual reading, get another way to see it. Um, uh, since it's kind of a paraphrase, anybody about to graduate college? Anybody about to graduate college? Somebody right over there, Lewis. I'll get that to, get to her. Congratulations! All right, this one is the uh, English Standard Version. Look again, isn't that a, just a beautiful, beautiful cover? Um, I want to give this out to somebody who just got over the flu. There's somebody right over there. Good deal. And then this one. This one's just gorgeous. This is the New Living Translation. Look at that cover. Isn't that just beautiful? And it's not just the cover, but if the cover will draw you in, man, it's like, I mean, you just, you just look extra cool, you know, like that. You might even be holding it upside down, but it's like, yeah, praise God. All right. Since I went through this too, uh, uh, anybody else just get over the flu. I want to encourage you. Anybody, anybody else? A lady right back in there. Glad you're better too. Amen. Come on, give a good God bless to them. And if you didn't get one and you want one, just kind of knock it out of their hands on the way out. And then you'll go, no, don't you dare. Don't you dare. All right, we're going to scoot here because we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, two weeks ago, we began In the Beginning, and we took the first five books, and we call these books The Beginning. And uh, it's also the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then today, we're going to go into the history books, the history books. Now, if you're like me, all through school, junior high, high school, and in, in college and so forth, had history classes, how many of you know that history can be boring? How many of you had those teachers, okay? And then I had other teachers that it was so compelling, so interesting. I had to go read more, watch more, hear more about what was going on. And that is my goal today is just kind of ignite that in you because we have so much happening in the next 12 books of the Bible, the history books, and we're going to zip through those, and then I'm going to tie something together for you before we finish today. But um, it's kind of daunting, and people say, you know, it's history, and eh, there's so much, I can't keep it all straight. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So I want to unfold it a little bit so that you can see. And, and these are such exciting books, I'm serious, that if you were to separate them all out and put some kind of sexy cover on them, <laughs> y'all okay that I said that? <laughs> Okay. And, and wrote mystery, politics, betrayal, love, intrigue, action, adventure. Um, that's what's going on 
in, in these books. And they would be bestsellers all over the place. And so, and you've got one. You're holding it in your, in your lap or in your phone here. And so let's dive in quickly uh, into the history books. And let's, let's just go through the list. The list is going to not jive completely with your table of contents, so to speak. I'll explain that as we go. And so first of all, we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And I want to go ahead and start today with Joshua. Everybody say Joshua. And so thus begins the history books. And Moses has just their leader, their deliverer has just died, and Joshua is taking over as the leader, and he's leading them into the promised land. Now, I don't have time to go back and cover everything uh, before that. Uh, And he's leading a group called Israel or the children of Israel. Now, let me clear something up for you that sometimes people are confused about Israel. The Bible talks to them uh, about them being this chosen people. And so sometimes people get the the mindset that, you know, we're the the also-rans, we're the others, that they're God's favorite, uh, they're God's chosen, and there's something exclusive just for them. And that is not true. Here was God's ideal and goal with Israel, and it was to have a people, it's almost like a store window display. He wanted to demonstrate and reestablish the picture for everybody to see what it is like to be in a relationship, a covenant relationship with God, and a healthy relationship with the people around you. And, and then how that, that if we connect with him in the right ways, that there's blessing and protection and guidance and provision and, and all of the things that come from a relationship with God and how he will take good care of his people when they respond in right relationship with him and how that informs our relationship with other people. And so that is entirely what choosing Israel and kind of putting them on display is what he intended to happen. You're going to find, though, that Israel is a whole lot like us even today as we go through this. So in Joshua, they're possessing the land that God has promised. He's prepared this for them, and they're to reach out into this land. And land is figurative throughout Scripture of promises. So what God has promised for you, that's kind of like land in a way, in that he's prepared it and promised it for you. You have to go in and take it the same way that God wanted Joshua to lead the people in. And that was, first of all, to believe God. Then it was to just act and do what he would say to reach for it, and then to go in and to possess the land. So Israel had been led out by Moses. Now they're being led in. They've been led out of of captivity by Moses. Now they're being led in to the promised land. Now remember that God brings us out that he might bring us in. When Moses brought them out of Egypt, remember the Red Sea and so forth? When, When he brought them out, they were to go to the promised land then. It was an 11 to 14 day journey. And when they got close to the promised land, they sent spies in to check it out, and they chickened out. And they lost their nerve, and they didn't, they didn't believe. And so God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And the reason for that is the generation of grumblers and unbelievers had to die out so that a new generation could go in. And now Joshua is leading them in. So God led them out that he might lead them in, and God will do the same thing for you as well. They were to drive out the Canaanites. 
And over the years, I've heard people say, well, that's not very fair. The Canaanites were living there, and now God instructs the, the, the children of Israel to go in and drive them out, kill them if need be, and get them out of, out of the land. And he said, well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem just and right of God. You have to understand this. Uh, history writes that the Canaanites were probably the most vile and perverse culture that's ever been on the planet. And God had dealt with them for over 400 years. And so then God said, that's enough. Did your mama ever tell you, that's enough? Okay. And so that's enough always comes before, well, you know what? You get, you get the spanking. But here's the thing. Judgment. This was judgment. And judgment is always God's last resort. A good parent will instruct and warn and train and give mercy and help and warn and instruct. And then if you don't respond to that, then you get, you get, well, time out. How many of you are like me? When I was growing up, they had not yet invented time out. Now back to our program. Next book is Judges. Judges. Now, as Joshua passed from the death of, uh, Judges takes us from the death of Joshua to Saul becoming Israel's first king. Understand that the children of Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years. When they first went into Egypt, they went in on their own, and there were approximately 70 people. That was their population. By the time they leave uh, Egypt, there are over 2 million people. They'd been in captivity for hundreds of years. Now they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, as I just recounted to you. And now what they're doing, Joshua and Judges, they're entering into the promised land. Whose land? Their land. They're now going into their land, a new land. They're they're no longer renters. They're owners. They're no longer strangers and aliens. They, They are citizens. This is their place. But guess what? It didn't go well. It didn't transition well. Do you know why it didn't transition well? Wrong thinking. You've heard the saying before, you can take the boy out of the country, you can't take the country out of the boy. Well, they were so ingrained in what happened in Egypt that even though they were brought out of Egypt, Egypt was still in them. And so their thinking was so messed up in a number of ways. Same thing happens for us. Don't be too hard on Israel. Same thing happens with us. And they ended up, though, as a result, kind of abandoning their relationship with God, which created actually like a dark ages for Israel. So Judges is not a very happy book. And the problem was this. Everybody did whatever they felt like doing. So look with me in Judges chapter 17. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And then the message paraphrase, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing just like in 2018. People just do what they feel like they want to do. The the people essentially said this, you know, I don't don't want to have to serve God and do all this stuff. Um, I don't want to have to take care of others. I don't want all these responsibilities. I'm, I'm going to form my own truth, my own morality, my own standards. And God put up with that for a while. And then eventually God allowed them to fall captive to other nations. As they went into captivity in other nations, they were oppressed, they were persecuted, and then guess what happened? They came to their senses. They came to their senses, and they called out to God, and God raised up judges. And these judges were leaders, and some of them Gideon or Deborah or Deborah, 
Deborah's kind of like Wonder Woman in, in, uh, in the book of Judges. And you read about these judges. So they came to their senses, called out to God. He rescued them. And then guess what? After God rescued them, do you know what they did? They went back to their old ways again. They went right back to it. And guess what? We find in the book of, of Judges seven cycles of this. Seven cycles where, where you know, God would do good to them, and then they go their own way, end up in trouble, come to their senses, call back out to God. God would rescue them. And it seemed that every time they would come to their senses and call out to God, God would respond and God would rescue. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I'm glad that God is that kind of patient, long-suffering, merciful God. But let's make sure that we don't abuse that. And here's what happened. They were supposed to possess the land, drive out the enemy, lay claim to all that God had for them, and honor and enjoy God. But they didn't drive out the enemy. And so instead they began to mingle their worship with the Canaanites. And they took on their idols and morals and laws and standards. And instead of influencing the culture around them, the culture around them influenced them. And instead of laying claim and possessing the land, the land and the people possessed them. And so it's a real dark time in the book of Judges. Let's move on to the next one. Ruth. Everybody say Ruth. Anybody here named Ruth? I should have given you a Bible. Sorry. Take one from someone else. Ruth. Ruth uh, takes place at the same time during Judges. uh, But it's actually a bright spot. Ruth was David, King David's great-grandmother. And we read in the book of Ruth of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and the kinsman redeemer. It's a beautiful story of love and loyalty and risk and mystique. And, and it pictures redemption. And it, pict- it pictures the, the, the inclusion and the adoption that is available. Uh, a beautiful story in the book of Ruth. I would encourage you to read it. And it's not that long. Next is First and Second Samuel. Now, this is actually just one book. Okay? It's just one book. But we have First and Second Samuel listed in our Bibles, and here's why. Because when this was being translated into, into the Greek, they had standard scrolls that they were written on, and it was too long for one scroll, and so it went on two scrolls. So actually, we have scroll one, scroll two, but it's all just one book. The same is true of Kings, First and Second Kings. The same is true of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. So actually, this is just Samuel, just one book. It recounts for us the royal history, kind of the monarchy. We see Saul and David and Solomon come on the scenes. Samuel, though, is a key individual, and and the book is named after him. Um, He becomes a hinge person in all of history, and he was the last of the judges, and he's the first of the prophets. Now, you need to know what a prophet is. A prophet is a person that would speak for God to the people, okay? And so this was the first that God began to do that in this way, Samuel being the first of those prophets. Samuel is written as a biography. biography. We find many of our famous and favorite stories through there. Samuel as a boy, remember that the Lord was calling to him and he thought it was Eli calling him. And then, you know, three times that happened. The, the story of David and Goliath, the friendship of David and Jonathan, on and on and on. One of the big things that happens in in Samuel is Israel establishes a monarchy. They took on a king. They said, we want a king. God said, why do you want a king? Everybody else has a king. Sounds like us, right? 
And so everybody else has a king. God says, that's not really what I have for you. I have a better way. They, they persisted. Finally, God did relent. And he said, but you're going to learn some lessons, and I'm going to warn you about some things. And so Israel at that point moved from what is called a theocracy, God in charge, to a monarchy where there's just a person in charge. How many of you know that God in charge is a little better way than that, okay? And so they, they shifted over into this. Much of the focus of Samuel is on David. And not because David was so perfect. David sinned big time. But David had a heart after God. And God used David in a mighty, mighty way. And, and even though he sinned, and he sinned big, his heart was tender toward God. And when he would sin, he would confess his sin, and he would repent of his sin, contrary to his counterpart in Samuel, which is King Saul, who was prideful and arrogant and rude. And it's really a clear picture of this is the difference between who God will use or not use. This is the difference between who God will bless and not bless And what it has to do with is a heart that is after God. Amen? Now, David in Samuel marks the halfway mark between Abraham and Jesus. Abraham was the founding, the beginning of of a nation. David helped to uh, settle and develop the nation. And then ultimately, Jesus, who is in the lineage or the family line of David, Jesus becomes Savior. Now... Next is Chronicles and Kings. And again, your Bible might say first and second, first and second, but it's because of the scrolls. Tell your neighbor, it's because of the scrolls. Don't, don't, you sound very smart doing that. So that's one book and that's one book. And the reason I put these together and it throws things a little bit out of order is because they're covering the same period of history. Both of these books are covering the same period of history. It's about 400 years worth. Kings, uh, a little more particular, is a continuation of Samuel. And it's all about kings, King Solomon. And we'll, we'll talk about this in just a moment. Uh, Israel got divided into north and south. North was Israel. South was Judah. There were 12 tribes of Israel named after Jacob's 12 sons. And I'll tell you how that split in just a moment. But in the north, Israel, they ended up during this period of time having 19 different kings. And in the south, in Judah, they ended up having 20 different kings. So this talks a lot about it. Now, in Chronicles and Kings, it starts off great. But then it's the rise and the fall of of the kingdom. It begins with the building of the temple. It ends with the destruction of the temple. It begins with David as king. It ends with the king of Babylon conquering them. It mirrors the kingship of King Solomon. Now, Solomon started out great, okay? You remember that God came to Solomon and said, what do you need? Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And he asked for wisdom. And God said, you could have asked for money. You could have asked for victory over your enemies. You could have asked, and you asked for wisdom. So I'm going to give you wisdom beyond measure, and I'm going to give you all those other things too. And so this is like, you know, winning the showcase showdown on The Price is Right. <laughs> Maybe even better. But it went south. It went sour. He, he began to, uh, he had a, well, here's part of his problem. He had like 900 wives. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> For Solomon. No, I'm joking. Um, and he began to, uh, worship their gods and their standards and so forth. And so he became prideful. He became deluded. He became rebellious. 
and he became heavy-handed as a king. And he started out as this wise king, and now he's, he's holding the people down. Heavy taxation, heavy labor, uh, all kinds of things just to oppress the people. As he goes off the scene, his son, his son comes in to be the king, and that is King Rehoboam. And he's young, and he's kind of cocky, and all the, the royal advisors came to him and said, listen, your dad, um, he's gone now, and he kind of latter years was pretty hard on folks. And the morale in the kingdom is low, and the people are oppressed, and they're weary. And it's because of the heavy taxes and because of the heavy labor. And we just think it would be wise for you to maybe let's lighten up. And in his arrogance and whatever it would be, he said, they think it's heavy now. And so he made taxes so heavy and labor so heavy and it was even more oppressive and it caused a civil war. And that is when Israel was no longer unified but divided and they went north and south, Israel and Judah. And you can read about that in Chronicles and Kings. Let's go to Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah... um, considered really to be two parts of one book. Read these two together. This is the return of the Jews coming back from Babylonian uh, uh, captivity and going back into their promised land. The book of Ezra speaks of rebuilding the temple and the book of Nehemiah speaks of rebuilding Jerusalem and the walls and, and the city. And if you're a leader or a student of leadership, you need to read these books because some of the greatest principles ever on leadership are found in Ezra and Nehemiah. And then lastly is Esther. Esther. Everybody say Esther. Anybody here named Esther? She was here earlier. It's a dramatic, incredible story of a beautiful, intelligent woman who gets selected to be the king of, uh, excuse me, the queen of Persia. And she uses her position to save the Jews from absolute genocide. It's a story of courage and faith and peril and betrayal and politics and sacrifice. And uh, uniquely in there is a story of how two Jews risked their lives so that they could save their people. Incredible story. Now, I've just shared with you the 12 history books of the Bible and just kind of broke them out real quick. Use the study guide, the reading guide, to help you get a little bit more on that. I wanted, to, I wanted to give it a little space to aerate it a little bit to see and hopefully create some intrigue for you to get in there. But really where I wanted to head today is right here in this moment. I believe that God's Bible, and how many of you know it's all connected? In case you didn't know, it's all connected. This is not just a collection of books over the years by religious people. This from start to end is all connected. It's almost like it has fiber optics that run through it. And you'll see something in one place, and if you follow it, it lights up in another place. It is said, and I believe it, that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So we've talked about a number of times this morning, and if you'll read these books, you're going to find over and over and over and over and over, you get the point, you're going to find mentioned the tabernacle and the temple. And I want to talk about that just real quick before we leave here today. This is massively important, and this will tie together something for you here today. Moses, let's go all the way back to Moses. Moses directed, uh, God directed Moses to build a tabernacle. 
He gave him exact, precise measurements, materials. He told him how to do the different uh, sacrifices and sacraments and system, everything that was to happen within there. I mean, down to the, to the uh, you know, eighth of an inch. It's just incredible how he set all of that out. Let me show you a diagram of the, of the tabernacle. It was mobile. It was temporary. They could take it with them. The important thing I want you to know is God chose for his presence to be in this tent, so to speak. So right here is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the same one that Steven Spielberg made a movie about. Spielberg didn't make this up, okay, y'all? Now, he made up the other stuff. But this is the presence of God that is in this place. So what happens, you have the outer courts, and this is where the common people could go, and there were places to make sacrifices and offerings here, burn offerings, blood offerings, water offerings, and so forth. Then if you go through this door, only priests could come into here. And you have different stations I don't have the times to go into, but this is called the holy place. Your regular people, us, we're not allowed into the holy place. We have to stay in the outer court. But a priest would go on behalf of the people, make sacrifices, offerings, different things on on our behalf. And then there's a curtain right here or a veil. And only a high priest was able to go behind the veil. And they only did it once a year. And when they would go, they would take blood. They would take a blood offering, a blood sacrifice, the guilt, the innocent for the guilty, and would go and make offering in the presence of God for the sins of the people because God is a holy God. We had to stay outside. Only once a year the high priest could go in, and because this is a holy God, he went through all kinds of rituals, cleansing rituals and so forth, to make sure that he was clean because you cannot go into the presence of a holy God if you have sin. So what they would do, he'd go through everything they knew to do and God instructed them to do that he could go in there sinless. But because he's human, they would tie a rope to his leg. And they also would put bells on his robe. And so as he went in, they're listening for the bells. And if the bells stop, we knew that there was sin in his life. And then that's what the rope was for, is to pull him back out of the presence of God. Now, fast forward, God moves and says, I want you to build a temple. Solomon builds a temple. Let's look at the diagram of the temple. This is permanent. This is beautiful. This is glorious. This is, was in Jerusalem. And it's essentially the same layout And it's uh, also the same sacrificial system that would happen with this. In 586 B.C., it was destroyed. Then as we saw in Ezra and Nehemiah, it was rebuilt. Because it... But when it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt kind of pretty bare. Then in 20 B.C., okay, so 20 years before Jesus, 20 B.C., King Herod, not out of something for God, but kind of out of his ego, rebuilt the temple and he restored it to its former glory. And that was the temple that Jesus encountered. It was then again destroyed in A.D. 70 after Jesus. The only thing that remains now is part of one wall. And if you go to Jerusalem today, it's the Wailing Wall. And that's part of that that temple that still stands. Now look with me, and here's where we were going. Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross. Jesus dies. Look what happens. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil, come on, everybody say the veil. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Now remember, no one could go behind that veil. What was behind the veil? The presence of God. Who could go behind the veil? 
Only a high priest and only once a year and only with a blood offering could they go to try to pay for the sins of the people in the outer court, sinful people, us, who had to stay away from the presence of God. We had to have somebody go in there for us. But look with me in Hebrews chapter 10, almost done. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we, come on, say we, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Go ahead. By his death, follow this, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Now, hold right there real quick. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. It was constructed in such a way that the historian Josephus said that in the construction, they would actually attach horses to it to make sure it couldn't stretch or tear. It's four inches thick. It's 60 by 20 feet. And supernaturally, from top to bottom, when Jesus passed, when he gave up his spirit, it's torn in two from top to bottom. Now let's keep going. By his death, go back, go, go, go back. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Now go ahead. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house... Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Watch this. Jesus, our high priest, entered into the most holy place with his own blood as the sacrifice, tore the veil that kept us apart from God, opening access to God. And folks, what does that mean now? It means that our sins are taken away. And so not only our sins, but the veil that separated us from God. Jesus took away our sins. Jesus took away the veil. And here's the reality. You and I no longer need anyone to go to God for us. Now hear me. You can go to God. I can go to God. I don't need somebody else to go for me. And get this, no longer is there any sacrifice needed. There's no more shedding of blood. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more the innocent dying for the guilty. No more. Because Jesus did it once and he did it for all. And he opened up a new and living way. Now, what we saw back in the types and shadows, the Old Testament was the New Testament concealed. And then when we go by fiber optics almost all the way to the New Testament, we're living in this. God was up to something, and he was setting up a system and a picture and types and shadows. And and ladies and gentlemen, we live in the day now where the veil has been torn. Our sins have, have been forgiven. And you and I, we don't need anybody else. It's not a matter of our emotions. It's not a matter of our performance. It's a matter of what Jesus has done for us, that we have a wide open, new and living way that you and I can go right into the presence of God. Amen. That, that's some good history. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this today? All right. I, uh, I went over. So let's stand up and pray and get you out of here. All right. Father, thank you for this day. And most of all, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And I thank you that every one of us, we have free access by believing in what you have done for us, Jesus, to go to the throne of grace, to pray, to get forgiveness, to get grace to help us, to find mercy for our failures and faults. 
and just to worship you and just to be with you. Help us to not ignore this. Help us to know that this is a long historic story that you've been up to something and we get to partake of that. I thank you. Bless your people now. Give them a great rest of the day. And once again, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. I love you. You're dismissed. Peace. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.